Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? Okay. I'm just sitting here with so many different directions that we can go in in this conversation. We've had a lot this week with the ECB, the U.S. data, the China data. We got a lot next week with the Fed, and God knows how many central banks are up for next week. So um, I guess let's start with central banks. Okay, you weren't expecting that. <laughs> okay. I could see. Threw me for a loop there, Bruce. Okay. I know, I know that. But let's start with central banks. I mean, do we, we expected the ECB to be on hold. Uh, they, they hike. Um, I get a little worried about that because the ECB hiked in 2008. Yeah, because I think recession. not only did we expect they hiked on hold, well, I'm finished. They hiked okay. in 2008 as their economy was sliding into recession. Right, right. They hiked in 2011 as their economy was sliding into recession. And that's not a good signal right now in terms of uh, uh, forecasting that's, that's what happens definitely next. definitely a fair point. Uh, in fact, I think last week on this call, you and I were both in agreement that our call for a hold was going to be followed by a hike. And you and I were saying like, I don't know why they just don't go on hold from here, given how weak the economy looks. And um, now I think the hike that we got this week was a dovish hike in the sense that they indicated they weren't, well, we, of course, no one's tying their hands, but it suggested that they were on on hold here. And so they're, we're not going to have any, any further hikes after this. But yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, there's no doubt that the uh, inflation is still a, a source of concern for them. And when you look at their forecast, uh, they did nudge down their inflation forecast for next year to, uh, I believe, um, uh, to nine. Uh, but still, that's that's way above what I think they're comfortable with. And I think they yeah. feel like they need to kind of keep a restrictive policy stance until they see more progress on that front. Yeah, we, pr we probably don't want to make too big a deal. I mean, they're at a level which is lower than the Bank of England, their level that's lower than the Fed. They're doing yep. an insurance hike. They're signaling that they're likely to be on hold. Um, but still, I think for an economy that is genuinely uh, sending signals Either, that it's stalling. slipping into recession, already in recession. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the right thing that you should do there is to be continuing to hike. But nonetheless, I think to me, the, in some ways, the interesting point here is we have the ECB hiking this week, but signaling that it's a good chance it's going to be on hold for a while. We have the Fed on uh, hold next week with a, a pretty good chance that even though they maintain a hawkish bias, they're going to be on hold. We have the Bank of England, Rick's Bank, Norges Bank hiking next week. But it, it feels like whatever central banks are doing in September, they are sort of settling into this high for long. We're going to be on hold for a bit here. Uh, and I guess the question is how how does that project itself um into the um inflation space how does it project itself into the into the growth space here uh and you know is the, are these going to be comfortable holes uh or are we going to be feeling these guys are being challenged here very soon well i mean that opens up the same can of worms we've been grappling with uh for the better part of this year in terms of do we think we're going to be in a, a boiling the frog scenario or do we think we're going to be in a uh, kind of more of a Goldilocks scenario. If we, if, if, in, and the Goldilocks bid has certainly been there for the past number of, of months. And that would mean it's going to be a comfortable hold for a while. And then they can start 
cutting once they see further progress on, on inflation over the coming six to eight months here. Alternatively, you're going to see that progress on, on inflation, core inflation rates coming down, kind of stall and get stuck at a level that they're not comfortable with. Well, and there's a there's a common issue on inflation, of course. I mean, I think you could say that everybody still has elevated inflation, everybody that we're talking about here, and that everybody um, is going to have that issue of whether the inflation news is going to come down enough to keep them on hold for, for which much is, longer. I, 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 which is important. It's just a small point. It's in, important for people to recognize that inflation still is too high, right? You need further progress on this front to actually generate that Goldilocks and actually get cuts and everything to feel good. So we are by no means there yet, but the reason you can pause is because rates are in restrictive territory right now. So they've got their foot on the brakes and they're gonna watch right. this thing. So that's small footnote to this. So I think in the, as we said, the ECB is facing an economy that is looking weak. The Bank of England is interesting. I don't really wanna dwell on them. They have probably a more significant inflation threat than well, anybody else. I mean, you can argue that's a stagflation type thing, which is just a fancy word for saying a supply shock, right? I mean, that essentially you've got high inflation and weak growth and they're trying to grapple with. And you've seen it both in, in, in the data. You've seen incredibly high wage inflation numbers. That is a big concern. But you also had a very weak GDP, monthly GDP print. So the, you got to grapple with those two. But because we think this is a structural kind of supply uh, element to it, we think the Bank of England still has more hikes behind it, and we think they they deliver next week the twenty five. Right, but I would I would say, given the way the growth momentum has slipped here, I think they're going to be in the same position as the euro area afterwards. I think the growth numbers are most likely going to give them enough pause to not have anything beyond that, even though they will have a more, you know, difficult path getting inflation back down. Uh, and I think that's where the Fed um, has a different challenge because the Fed is not facing an imminent threat on on growth. We can debate whether there is something we're missing there. Um, and it has perhaps uh, less of an inflation issue right now, although I, I would actually say that if our team's forecast is right, the inflation numbers in the euro area in September, October, November, we really are looking for almost a stall in core inflation. So it's going to be a pretty significant um, uh, move down here that we're going to see At that a time we're, when we're looking for a pickup in U.S. core inflation. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that's just small around the, you know, the last three months is two, four. And we might have in our forecast something a little over three for the following three months. Those are in the scheme oh, of things. Not big. That's a huge difference. <laughs> Difference between two four and three three is like I mean, that's the difference between a Fed that could maybe start hiking to a Fed that probably has or to cutting to a Fed that probably has to start hiking. Well, I don't disagree with that on on the issue of what is a sustained inflation rate of that difference means. But what I'm suggesting is a three month run rate that swings that much is pretty much common practice, and is not going to e either one of those shouldn't send much of a signal. That's going to have a, a big impact on on central bank policy, um, but let's let's get into the to the kind of the broader growth story. Uh, we've been talking about the U.S. downshifting a, a decent amount here. Um, I'd say overall, this week's data was not only uh, a bit better in terms of the way that downshift is playing out, but it's also a bit encouraging in terms of the 
the broader call we're, we're making that there is actually uh, a manufacturing sector recovery coming by. And I'm not just in that way, we might want to just broaden out. We don't have just the U.S. data here. We have the China data to get into on that on that on that front. Um, you know, so you were you were the guy who was pushing the manufacturing recovery earliest. And then in the last couple of months, you've been kind of getting a little more cautious while I've been getting a little more <laughs> positive on it. So I want to take your temperature now. Where are you? after this week's news on that on that side of things yeah i mean i, I i'm probably more more volatile in my views and you probably have the maybe it's because you're more seasoned in, in tracking this stuff <laughs> maybe i'm just more tired perhaps yeah more tired that, that's <laughs> a euphemism for older i guess <laughs> more seasoned <laughs> but I, I mean i think that probably was the right view i think even early on when i was pretty um bold up that the manufacturing sector is gonna going to bounce here, you, you were expressing a little more patience. And, uh, and but I, I do think last week, if we would, if we would have come in and gotten the forecast we were looking for, which was a pretty weak US consumer, a, a soft industrial production report, uh, disappointing demand numbers from China, I think that would have reinforced my concerns a little bit. Uh, in the end, we ended up getting uh, certainly by no means strong retail sales report, but you know, not as bad as we had thought. And actually we were quite a bit below market. So maybe the market wasn't as downbeat as we were, but um, so th that was positive. IP industrial production numbers were also stronger than we thought. And then of course the China numbers really have come back and those have been choppy all over the place. I'm kind of throwing up my hands on China and just saying they're going to get what they want. They're going to get their 5% <laughs> growth forecast. And, the question and, is whether and, we're going to get what we want. Well, the I mean, frankly, the authorities... I, here's here's stepping back. Right. I, I was saying back in July, I mean, my kind of big theme was if it's not broke, don't doubt it. And thinking of the good sector for not going into recession, the good sector absolutely is going to have a levered bounce here. And I think that's still the right call. Now, when the pivot is remains to be seen, it wasn't as early as I thought. Uh, it's not quite happening yet, but you do see some positives. The tech sector's turning. You see global auto sales starting starting to turn up. You've gotten some constructive news finally out of China. And that was a part of the out of the that was a part of the mix. Uh, and that's all I think maybe that the, the the turn is happening here. Europe of course is still the 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 fly in the oil. I mean, Europe's the reason why breaks, I'm not as that's willing to that's not so, the willing to put it the levered the levered bounce on it. I'm kind of temp tempering this move in the Bruce that I would I would flag for this uh, that might kind Capex. of what on this one yeah yeah exactly one is capex actually is looking not just soft now it's actually looking weak it's contracting our capex nowcaster is contracting um so it's it's early days and it's you know that the data takes a little time to get into those models but nonetheless that's a concern i think the bigger concern is that oil prices have really moved up ah we, now we're uh, gonna go <laughs> i was yeah, i was about to go there you, you yeah, jumped so the gun I, uh, you, uh, but let me of... let me frame the oil story with a slightly yeah. broader. So I agree with you. Oil is an issue, and let's talk about that. But I do want to just note that we're, we seem to be getting is oil moving up and putting upward pressure on on uh, on inflation from that angle. But also the core goods price story, which is part of our supportive um, uh, you know element of a of a rebound in goods spending and and, and manufacturing. That looks like it's it's coming down pretty hard in a broad-based way. So, you, you know, I don't. I think mean, we should focus on on energy, but both of those should be in our mind as we think about what's happening in the goods price space. 
Right. So those are two kind of contrasting forces in the inflation space. I think on the energy point, I mean, the way we tend to look at this is to ask ourselves, you know, why are why are oil prices moving up here? And if this were a case of oil prices are moving up because the you know you're getting this good sector recovery, uh, then I think we would feel okay, right? It will temper growth a little bit, but it's not going to completely short circuit it. But that's not what this is, right? This is much more of a supply-led event. Uh, and therefore, the let's call it roughly 20% move, maybe a little bit more than 20% move in oil prices over the past kind of six to eight weeks here. I mean, by our model, that probably is taking off something uh, on the order of three-tenths of the level of global GDP. So if you wanted to hit that all in, say, the fourth quarter, that's a little over a half a percentage points off of GDP growth. Uh, from that supply shock. So we should worry about it. Now, the good news is Natasha is, is suggesting that she doesn't see the support for oil prices to kind of move up much further here. In fact, she has the year ending at about $86 per barrel. Uh, but there are a number of people out there who are thinking prices could go up to 110, 120. And I would just warn you that if that's what we're talking about and it's from supply shocks, boy, that would be that would be a material event that would change yours and my views on the on the global uh, global outlook here for 24. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's not at the point yet where we are, uh, you know, very concerned, but the motion on oil is is a concern. And if it went a lot further, it would be a shock. It'd be a negative shock to the system. And it's a negative shock to the system that I think is the only thing that I can see creating a real problem in terms of the life of the global expansion anytime soon. Uh, but we don't want to ignore those shocks as oil shocks leading downturns, isn't there? Yeah. Although they, they've tended to be much bigger than what we're talking about now. We've, uh, you know, you're talking in those, in those contexts of shocks that have basically doubled the price of oil, uh, which would mean getting, you know, into the one fifty dollars range in, in terms of the scaling of that, that shock. Um, but let's, um, Let's talk more broadly here. I think there is an issue uh, that I, I hear people uh, raise all the time, which is, hey, there's a there's a problem here from the point of view of long term interest rates moving higher. That's connected to the complete irresponsibility on fiscal policy. Perhaps uh, uh, the U.S. isn't the only country, but it's the one that gets uh, focused on there. Um, I know you have opinions about everything, Joe. So you have opinions about U.S fiscal policy as well. I mean, how do you kind of put that into the the frame of the the way we're looking at the outlook here? Well, I think, first of all, we should want a world where interest rates are, have moved up. And that's a sign of, I think, of, of good health in the, in the economy. Uh, but I think more to the, the fiscal point, there's no doubt that we're on an unsustainable fiscal path uh, in the U.S. and a number of other countries as well, for that matter. Um, but I think the, the near-term story is not from a cyclical perspective. I don't think this is one of considerable concern. The more medium to long-run concern is that, yeah, rising interest costs in a world of higher interest rates, and I do think structurally rates are going to move higher, that means 
more interest costs coming from the government that limits fiscal space to deal with uh, future downturns. That probably makes the economy more interest sensitive to monetary policy, which means the Fed is going to have to grapple with that. Maybe more coordination. I don't believe in fiscal dominance of monetary policy, but nonetheless, perhaps more coordination and certainly more volatility. Uh, but that's about as far I, as I would go on that front. And I do think there's time for kind of fiscal authorities to kind of get the get the their act together and and kind of generate the right uh, policy outcomes that can put us on a more sustainable path. But that's more of a, a, a medium longer term uh, kind of. Well, let me make discussion. let me make one other comment on this. There's a um, uh, when I hear people talk to me about this, sometimes they talk about the idea that fiscal dominance is not about fiscal policy dominating monetary policy from the point of view of policy setting, but more that it's the only thing that has mattered in terms of the, the business cycle. Um, and I think it is, that's, that's a big exaggeration, but it's not uh, to miss the point of how significant the fiscal policy shifts have been in driving performance. We've just gone through four quarters for U.S. government spending has grown 4%, and that's been a, an important part of why the U.S. has done so well and has outperformed a lot of other countries. Uh, I, the only point I want to make here is that while we are likely to see federal government spending cool here, especially in the backdrop of the debt ceiling agreement, um, the state and local authorities are actually in very good shape and they've actually been accelerating spending through this year so far. And they're not going anywhere. They're almost 60% of government spending. So I think the picture on fiscal from the point of view of the demand impulse, the direct demand impulse from spending is going to cool somewhat, but not turn outright um, uh, negative on us uh, any any time soon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would just I would kind of maybe echo what what you're saying or, or hinting at is that you know there's a lot of talk about your responsibility of, pol of policy setting, your responsibility of policy setting. I, I find it a bit odd timing on that front because we're flirting with getting Goldilocks here, and if if the U.S. economy can generate a Goldilocks outcome after the absolutely stunning downturn and the, the chaos of the upturn and the bottleneck pressures. If you can stick this landing, boy, I mean, we're talking, uh, if there's Nobel prizes for policy, you would think you'd be handing those out rather being rather than. Well, being I would not only agree with you, but I would actually also say if we end up still having to face the challenge of inflation settling somewhere in the threes, uh, and ultimately possibly causing the boil the frog scenario to play out, that still is pretty darn good um, trade-off in terms of what we've delivered uh, coming out of this enormous shock that we've been living through. But let, yeah. me, uh, let me just make go into one slightly other topic before we end here, because I know we're going on. Um, next week, you know, we get the flash PMIs. Uh, that's, a, you know, outside of this slew of central bank meetings, which we're not going to spend time really going through. Uh, the manufacturing PMIs are important, as, as you know, you, you've been noting and we've been debating. The surveys just have not kind of connected with uh, the pickup in demand and, um, and output that we've seen in the last few months. We need to see that reconnect. Um, and we do have a, a, a bit of a move, not, not enough to completely close that gap, but we do have a bit of a move next week. Yeah, yeah, flash PMIs, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't put too much weight on our forecasts of the flash PMIs. I kind of just say, well, what's 
I look at it more as what do we need to see to get our forecast right. But for what it's worth, we're looking for a big move in the in the U.S. manufacturing flash uh, up a full point. And you could look to the Empire reading today. I suppose was a a good strong reading there. Uh, that's been you know, a, very we, choppy though. Right. Month month, that's been all over the map. The Euro areas, I think, where we really want to see a move up, not only because it's the place where it's the weakness, but also because it's probably the PMI that traditionally has the most signal content. And, uh, you know, to, we're looking for a half a point move up, but who knows whether that's right. My gut would be, again, if we're expecting a turn to take place, I think maybe we could see a surprise there, you know, add on top of China's upside surprise that we got this week. Uh, but, you know, who knows? We have a really big jump in the, in the UK uh, PMI. So, uh, but they, these are all just kind of finger in the wind type forecasts. I think we'll just have to wait and see what we, what we get out of those. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce, I, I will say there are kind of two things just adding to the very near term to, to be worried about. I, I don't know if you've got views on it, but obviously the UAW strike just started. That is another potential fly in the ointment. And then, of course, you've got a potential government shutdown in, in yeah. the US up here. So just two more things to worry about, I guess. Well, I'm not going to worry about it to, tonight. So I'll uh, leave, it, <laughs> leave it there. We can, pick, the we can pick those up. Uh, no, it's Russia Shanat tonight. So I guess oh, right. yeah, I, I, I should end by just noting that a couple of people have been telling me that I've been treating you too harshly on these calls. So in the spirit <laughs> of this season, let me apologize are, are to we, you. Are we a period of atonement? <laughs> I have to do it right, right <laughs> about now. Buzzing. As hard as it might be for me, I have to do that. So anyway, I apologize, and uh, I uh, wish everybody on the call a happy new year, and thanks again. Hope we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.